Hello, fellow ag nerds. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich, and if you're curious about where innovative ideas meet practical realities in food production, you have found the right show. I want to start off today by thanking three new members of the FOA community, Daniel Carmichael, Dan Maycock, and Warren Clark. Thanks so much to all three of you for joining that community. And if you'd like to join them and some of the brightest minds in agriculture, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash agriculture. In recent years, the idea of farmers getting paid based on stewardship practices has really kind of taken off, at least in, in the media. Whether that's the discussion of companies paying for carbon sequestration, for soil conservation, for water quality, or any other of a number of ecosystem services, it seems like it's a trend that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. But how much real demand is there versus just like marketing and PR? I mean, obviously, we all want cleaner air and cleaner water, but who's lining up to pay for it to create the right incentives to make it happen? And does this even scale? And if so, how does it scale amongst millions of farmers? Those are just a few of the questions that I get to dive into with today's guest, Jason Weller. Jason is vice president of True Terra, which is the sustainability solutions business of Lando Lakes, Lando Lakes being one of the nation's largest farmer-owned cooperatives. Before joining True Terra, Jason served as the chief of USDA's Natural Resource Conservation Service, NRCS, the nation's largest working lands conservation organization. That makes him uniquely suited to talk about the role of both public and private sectors in this whole sustainability conversation, which we actually do touch on in today's episode. Jason and I also talk about the difference between marketing and truly trying to scale conservation agriculture, the role of data and precision ag in sustainability, including their True Terra Insights engine, and the future outlook for carbon credits and carbon credit marketplaces. First, though, I'm going to drop you into this conversation where Jason's talking about his transition from leading the NRCS to joining Lando Lakes. So my, my whole career, Tim, has been in public service up until now. I've been in, in state government and federal government. Very proud of my tenure at USDA. Uh, it was an incredible experience. I worked with some of the best people in the world on natural resources conservation, and it was an incredible honor to be with NRCS. But when the opportunity with Land Lakes came up and to go work for a farmer cooperative, to me, it's uh, it's akin to that service ethos where I like waking up in the morning knowing who I work for. In this case, understanding that the farmer members and the uh, cooperative owners of Land Lakes, it's a federated co-op system. My job is to help them create value, help them be economically successful, but in this case, also continuing that that sustainability journey in this case, through a farmer cooperative, to me, is, is part of that journey on service and giving back to agriculture. And did you come over to Land O'Lakes specifically for the True Terra role? I did, yes. Yep. So at the, at the end of my tenure with NRCS as Chief of the Natural Resources Conservation Service, I wanted to continue to be very involved with agriculture, but I also wanted to work with farmers directly and also at scale. There are a lot of great organizations that are doing really inspiring work. But what I saw repeatedly uh, in my time with NRCS, there are a lot of organizations that were well-meaning doing really good work, but onesies and twosies, you know, working with a couple farms, working on a couple demonstration trials, and a, a success was a pilot project on a few thousand acres. 
and looking big picture, the challenges that are coming for agriculture, the challenges coming at us with a changing climate, with a surging world population demanding a lot more food. To me, I, I was interested in coming to work for a company that was dreaming and thinking big. And so Land of Lakes was building a sustainability team. So Matt Karstens was the head of the sustainability business at Land of Lakes. He's now CEO of Landis Cooperative. I'm a very significant farmer co-op in Iowa. But Matt was building out a sustainability team. And it was, to me, it felt like a once-in-a-career opportunity to come work in agriculture for one of the largest farmer co-ops in the country who was thinking big and not just talking, but actually investing and building out the team to help farmers on a, on a scale that's unprecedented. Yeah, talk more about that, because I think, you know, one challenge with sustainability is it can meet so many different things to so many different people. And so when you say, you know, Land Lakes was building out a sustainability team, uh, what does that mean from a practical sense? Like, what's the problem they're trying to solve? And, and what does that look like from, you know, a solution standpoint? So we're, we're still a relatively small team. Today, we have 15 folks that are part of Truterra. Truterra is now the name of our business. And this is a key fact that and we really do treat it like a business. This is not a feel-good nonprofit. This is not just, you know, a, um, a slogan or something, you know, we, we go out there and our job is to, to go do interesting stuff. Our job is to go do interesting stuff, but actually help our farmers make a return on their money. And also for the benefit of our cooperative system, this is, this is a bonafide approach on how do we help farmers succeed with conservation and stewardship, but do so in a way that's good for the farmer, but also then good for the land of lakes cooperative system. So that's the first thing. And so it, that discipline requires us to be really thoughtful about how we invest in technology, who we partner with, the types of services and capabilities we bring out to farmers. There's a lot of great ideas out there, but our challenge, I think what also frankly is energizing is trying to actually find that balance between ROI and good natural resource conservation. And I think we're finding that that path, that lane that we're carving. And so there's a lot to unpack here on, on how Truterra works. The big picture is that I think just for the listeners to understand a little bit about Land of Lakes, if you don't mind just me framing that up. So a lot of folks know inter interface with Land of Lakes, connect with Land of Lakes in the, in the dairy case at the grocery store. We're obviously known as a butter company, right? The number one, one of the number one, if not the number one um, butter company in, in the United States. We're actually approaching our 100th anniversary. We're a farmer cooperative. We started as a dairy creamery 99 years ago in St. Paul, Minnesota, where several dairy producers got together and constituted a cooperative to add value to their dairy businesses. And today, Land Lakes is one of the largest cooperatives in the country. So we are still one of the largest dairy cooperatives in the U.S. We're a, a packaged food company. We are, you know, we're Land Lakes dairy products. But our dairy ingredients are across the industry. Um, we provide milk and, and dairy ingredients to Mars and Nestle, um, Unilever, PepsiCo, the cheese dust on Cheetos and, and smart food popcorn. That's that's Land Lakes dairy ingredients. So, I mean, there's a lot of, of Land Lakes and a lot of products that, that American consumers enjoy. But we're also Winfield United. So Winfield United is one of the largest crop inputs and in ag technology businesses in the United States. And they provide ag technology and crop inputs like seed and fertilizer to hundreds of agricultural retailers across the United States. We are Purina, large animal nutrition, large animal feeding. So there's Nestle Purina, which is the pet food, but we own and we are 
purina, large animal nutrition. And so if it moves, clocks, or maze, that's us. Um, if it meows or barks, that's Nestle Purina. So we're also a federated co-op. So we have a thousand agricultural retailer owners. So the provenance of those are going to be local farmer and regional cooperatives. And it's through that, that cooperative system with Winslow United and Purina in a dairy operation, we touch about 50% of the farmland in the United States. So the Land Lakes Enterprise is fairly significant. And we are rural America. We are across the country in thousands, tens of thousands of communities and small towns. Um, we have thousands of farmer members and we have thousands of agricultural retailer members. And so through Terra, our job is to then not just dream big, but to then get tactical and think about how do we weave sustainability into that huge enterprise? How do we bring solutions to those, those local and regional retailer owners and to the individual farming operations that complement their businesses, but also start to address broader issues around soil health, around water quality, water availability, biodiversity. There's a lot of challenges that Truterra is thinking about, but then we are connecting um, those farmers and agro-retailers with sustainability opportunities in their service areas. With that vantage point of seeing kind of the entire value chain uh, of food and agriculture, I could see you looking at this two different ways, and you probably have to weave the two together, which is number one, where are the low-hanging fruit? Where can we go make agriculture more sustainable because there's just an opportunity and you know we're in a unique position to address it? But then there's also this whole other thing of like, we can't do something that's nice, but nobody's going to pay for it. If it doesn't benefit the farmer in some way, it's kind of like, you know, it's a good story for marketing, but it's not really anything we can sink our teeth into. So how do you kind of balance those two things? And how do you find out how do we create real incentives for these sustainable practices? Um, for the last 80 years, so going back to the Dust Bowl, my former employer, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, was created in the wake of the worst man-made ecological disaster in our country's history, which was the Dust Bowl. And for 80 years, it was NRCS, USDA, including the Ag Research Service and the Extension Services, land-grant universities, which are public agencies, and soil and water conservation districts, Department of Agriculture, Departments of Conservation. It was a public investment across the US, uh, really led the approach on how to help farmers and ranchers sustain their soil and other natural resources, right? And NRCS was the world's first soil health organization. I mean, the first chief, Dr. Hugh Hammond Bennett, um, he, he didn't use the word soil health. That wasn't cachet then, but all of his concepts and his advocacy was a 100% about soil health. So he was thinking about this 100 years ago before today it's, you know, very uh, popular to have a, a passion for soil health. Well, the public has been working on this for almost a century. What's been missing largely has been, I think, big picture, the private sector engagement on sustainability. And what's changed in the last five years is a very significant alignment of cross the ag supply chain from crop input manufacturers, ag technology companies, to agricultural retailers, uh, crop advisors, so all the folks that engage and work with farmers, and then uh, all the companies involved in the offtake of the grain or the dairy products and protein to the processors, to the consumer packaging companies, to the grocery store the chains. All of a sudden, the last five years, it is just like the weather vane is blowing in a new direction. And that's very strongly where private sector now realizes what's at stake and also what the opportunities are. I think that the challenge and the opportunity is how do we connect 
for farmers, because that's the end, it's the shared customer. How do we connect the, what the public sector can do best with what the private sector can do best? And in that tension, I think there's a lot of opportunity to create exactly what you're talking about is uh, first identifying what's the opportunity for the farmer? What are the mixes of products and practices that will help the farmer be more profitable? And it's not just production, it's net profit per acre. It's really where we need to drive this conversation. But then beyond annual profit, it's resiliency and ensuring the soils and the availability of water will be there for decades to come. So it's that long-term view on balancing future productivity and, and business success. I think there's a lot of rich opportunity in that place between connecting public programs and expertise with private sector programs and expertise to create incentives, but also just to create insights and awareness for farmers. The key in this, uh, if anything we've learned in 2020, is that in general, the American populace does not like mandates. <laughs> if you tell them what to do, it's not really well accepted. So I think the opportunity is actually partnering with farmers and ranchers on how. And as long as we keep the conversation anchored in the how and that you respect them and their, their primacy of the independence of their businesses and helping them ultimately give them solutions or ideas on how to improve their return and how to protect their natural resource assets and then let them make the decision that's best for their farm. I think there's, there's unlimited potential and I'm really excited for what's coming and for the future. Yeah, and it do, it does seem like there are some really good hows out there, and, and we're we're finding more and more every day about you know how can we do this. I think what I keep getting back to is is the why, and and you hit on it. If there were some sort of policy that was incentivizing food companies, or in the case of carbon emissions emitters, to say, look, you've got to you know kind of compensate for carbon sequestration or more sustainable practices, then all of a sudden, you know, the money kind of comes. But it seems like, especially with food companies, they're fighting in a really low margin business that's rapidly changing too. And maybe the money is not going to come from them. And so that's what I keep getting back to is like, okay, who's going to pay for this? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if there's a question in there that you want to try to tackle, but you know, that's what I keep getting back to is like you said, government doesn't want to mandate. Companies are, you know, trying to fight for as much margin as possible. And the consumer wants sustainability. But if it comes down to buying a soup that says, you know, more sustainable versus not, their propensity to pay is variable at best. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're obviously a student of, of the topic. And yes, uh, notwithstanding where, you know, large companies are involved in these conversations, there's not a untapped kitty of of deep pockets out there that are just willing to open up the wallet and start to pay. So I, I think in the end, it's it's shared risk and shared opportunity. And there are a lot of farmers that are interested in this topic uh, around sustainability and stewardship, even soil health. Regenerative agriculture is kind of, you know, the new term of the art today. A lot of folks are talking about it, it, the bottom line, the thread that binds all these different vocab words together is, is conservation agriculture is the way I think about it. And I think for farmers, they, of course, want to steward their natural resources. No farmer wakes up in the morning and wants to waste fertilizer or erode his soil or misapply other crop protection products or misuse manure. It's just I've never met one. I've met thousands in my career. 
Of course, they want to ensure that their farm is successful. And of course, they want to pass a farm on to Ken or keep it in the family. And it's really about legacy. But what's, I think, the missing link is that these more advanced systems we're talking about, and I think the future of conservation really is about precision. If you look over the last two to three decades at a big scale, we have done NRCS specifically, but I think public agencies and soil districts and farmers have done a really good job of tamping down big problems and like, for example, around erosion. And yet we've kind of plateaued in progress. Uh, we still have, frankly, significant erosion occurring. We still have significant nutrient loss from farm fields. We still have a significant loss of soil organic carbon in the atmosphere. So there's a lot of systemic issues. And I think, why is that? that notwithstanding a very significant investment every year from NRCS and from farmers. And I think in the end, it's because loss is occurring on a very small scale and it's pernicious, it's invisible, it's in every field, but it's finding based where those events are occurring. It could be a single storm event. It could be based on a soil type in a field. It could be based on the slope or the aspect of the slope. There's a lot of very complex variables. And so what I'm excited about is the advent of new technology that will help farmers understand where that loss is occurring and frankly, where that low profitability is in the farm. And if you start this around the business conversation is how do we help you manage not just your farm, but the individual components of your farm from your animal to your field, to the sub acre zones in your fields and really maximize their profit potential. When you are helping those different components of the farm be more efficient, you are also then addressing the broader environmental challenges. So that is where if you, I think coming back to your question, if you're partnering with the farmer to identify where those opportunities are to improve using the new available technologies and the agronomy sciences that are available today and animal science, it, then it's a shared investment with the farmer. They're willing to put more resources and capital into improving their operation. The challenge though is then helping them adopt those practices. And that's where I think public and private investment can come in to help farmers adopt those new systems and practices, which we, I think will make a significant difference for the large systemic uh, natural resource challenges we're talking about. And that precision piece, I know uh, Microsoft is among the many companies that, that you all are, are partnering with. Is that the opportunity they see to create technology for, you know, the sustainability tracking and metrics? Yes. Uh, and so at TrueTerra, we have a precision conservation platform. It's the TrueTerra Insights Engine. And it's where today it connects a lot of public information and then private information that the farmer shares with us. So it's a way we can distill down soils information, weather information, uh, LIDAR, you know, slope and uh, topography information. And then we amalgamate on top of that the management information that the farmer shares with us. A lot of that's precision ag data that's coming off their planner or their combine. And so with that, we give them a composite look of a few things. First, we benchmark the sustainability of every field. So we have a benchmarking score called the Insight Score. We give them KPIs around erosion, nitrogen use efficiency, greenhouse gas emissions, soil carbon sequestration. Secondly, we give them a profit map. We help them visualize where that field is making money and losing money. And then both of those, the, the profit insight and the score is interactive. So it's, it becomes a sandbox where farmers can plug and play practices and see what does that do to both my profitability as well as these other 
concerns around erosion and greenhouse gas and soil carbon. And the third component is we have a, a soil health, soil insights platform where we give them high resolution understanding of erosion events and soil carbon sequestration opportunities in their soils. So with Microsoft, we're very excited with this alliance is about them taking this existing precision conservation platform to the next level. And one of the biggest barriers to adoption is frankly data. And platforms like Truterra's and others in the marketplace are very data intensive. And it's expensive, particularly to scale. So, you know, Truterra, while others think and speak in thousands or tens of thousands of acres, we are aspire and dream in tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of acres. Okay. And to have ultimately, um, I think what you earlier talked about and were insinuating other incentives like carbon credits, you know, and other ecosystem uh, crediting opportunities. The only way I think in the end those become economic and scalable is if you make it more efficient to get high quality precision data. And uh, because you'll be tracking a lot of management activities across millions of acres over the course of a year, you also need to have technology to essentially monitor and verify that those practices are occurring in order to unlock the value of these markets. And so that's where we're very excited to be partnering as a company with Microsoft. They have you know, world-renowned software expertise, AI and machine learning capabilities, uh, remote sensing, satellite imaging capabilities. Um, and what Truterra and Landa Lakes bring to this is deep agronomic expertise. We already have, I think, a premier conservation sustainability platform. And it's then connecting those teams together and building, I think, a, a next generation decision tool for farmers to make the best decisions for their farms and unlock those other potential revenue opportunities that you had uh, insinuated earlier. And, and this true Terra Insights platform, is this something that, that farmers are paying for because they're finding inefficiencies in their own operation? Is that how the model works? Uh, so to be clear, we don't charge farmers in part because we're really passionate about giving access to this tool to farmers. We have other partners that we engage with. And so we talk a little bit about Truterra and who, who our customers are. So number one, we do view farmers as our customer, but we don't charge the farmer for access to the tool because it's it's really a decision support tool for the farmer. And we don't want cost to be a barrier to access to the information. We have uh, our second group of customers are a network of agriculture retailers. So those retailer owners of Land Lakes, I've talked to the outset, federated system. So we have a network across the Midwest and, and to the Mid-Atlantic coast, um, really kind of across the Corn Belt and in the, the Western Wheat Belt. Some of the best agricultural retailers in the United States who have deep agronomy and precision ag expertise. Um, they are customers and they, they do pay a fee to get access to our team and it's helping to offset the cost of our technology. And they are then the ones taking the Truterra Insights engine out to their farmer customers. So they are integrating our tool into their agronomy and crop advising teams. Um, we also have customers in the food space. So this is where there are, as we talked about earlier during our conversation, global brands um, that are making goals around sustainability. And for a variety of reasons, they really want to positively engage with agriculture. And they want to have a deeper understanding of their supply chain. And ultimately, they want to start to understand, is our supply chain making progress towards reducing emissions, reducing nutrient loss, improving soil health, protecting water quality? And 
Truterra is that connection point. And it's Truterra and our agricultural retailers are that connection for food companies back to the farm. So we're very proud. We have partnerships with Campbell Soup, with Tate Lyle. Tate Lyle is a very significant um, grain processor, and they have global customers, including Coca-Cola and PepsiCo and Unilever. And uh, we are very proud. We're working with Nestle Purina, and we, we're about to announce some new partnerships. We've uh, launched this fall with some other brands and companies. And they are all interested in, they, they source ingredients, wheat, corn, soybeans. They source these different uh, commodity grains from key regions of the U.S., Ch Chesapeake Bay, the Lake Erie watershed in northern Ohio, different tributaries of the Mississippi River in, in you know, the Corn Belt, uh, tributaries of the Ohio River. So these are iconic landscapes where agriculture is very important to those economies. But there are opportunities to help farmers reduce soil loss and reduce nutrient loss from their farm fields. And so this is where these companies are helping to sponsor Truterra and our retailers, again, take our conservation expertise to the countryside and help farmers. In return, the food companies are getting aggregated, anonymized insights into their supply sheds around the benchmark baseline um, and then the additional year-over-year -year improvement that farmers are making to adopt enhanced nutrient management systems, enhanced soil management systems, good conservation practices. And so we get them, you know, kind of a census count on, on the practice change, but also then we can we can calculate the systemic outcome change in terms of reduced emissions, improved soil health and improved nitrogen use efficiency, the things that the, the companies are really excited to talk about and connect with. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like Lando Lakes and maybe just a very few other companies, you know, Cargill, CHS, Stadium kind of come to mind, are in a position to be able to do that. Uh, and I want to talk about carbon markets here a little bit, because that's one thing that I've been scratching my head about for a long time is you've got these smaller players, startup-y type, early stage companies trying to come in and be the carbon intermediary between farmers and people who want to offset emissions. And it seems like, you know, a company like Lando Lakes or a cooperative like Lando Lakes, I should say, has an enormous advantage here in access to all of these these farmers where if a massive uh, emitter like an airline came and said, I need I need to offset all of these emissions. You actually have the network to do it. Is that is that sort of the thought process behind kind of entering into this carbon marketplace, which is starting to become a little bit crowded? Short answer is yes to everything you just said. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's going to be very crowded. I mean, this is, it's going to be, uh, it's going to feel like coach here on airliner pretty quick. There's going to be a lot of people filling the seats. So we, we absolutely view Land of Lakes and our cooperative system as uh, it is our responsibility, frankly, to be unlocking those opportunities for our farmers. Absolutely. The challenge will be, we also view is that the farmer needs a trusted advisor. And in general, you know, the adage of follow the money in this case really matters. And for us as a co-op, if you follow the money, it goes back to the farmer. So we're incentivized to help the farmer to the maximum extent and help the farmer find the best value. And a lot of these uh, early stage carbon credit opportunities, it's really important to read the fine print. It's really important to understand what you're agreeing to and what the risks are. And in some cases, I think the concern is that the, these carbon credit markets aren't necessarily being designed by those that understand agriculture, or understand the realities of farming. So we view our positions first to be that advisor to the farmer and helping to make the best choice. So if there are carbon credit opportunities, we really want to help advise the farmer, um, not to be their legal counsel, of course, you know, 
they've got to have their own legal counsel or make their own business decisions. But just to understand, help them unpack key parts of these carbon markets they should consider. But also to your point, because of our network of agricultural retailers and because of our membership as a cooperative system, um, yes, there already are a lot of uh, entrants into this carbon market space, and it's only going to accelerate, I think, in the coming year or two. I mean, it's, it's going to become very crowded and noisy marketplace. And so beyond connecting farmers and advising farmers, I think connecting with partners or ourselves creating an opportunity here to connect farmers to marketing opportunities for carbon credits. Um, yes, I think in the end, a cooperative system like Land Lakes really can be a way to scale these markets. I think what a lot of these companies will, will find, they'll run out of supply very fast. And in the end, Land Lakes is supply to farmers. And because we are owned by farmers, there's inherently going to be more trust and more willingness to have the conversation as opposed to other new entrants that farmers haven't worked with previously. How much of this excitement about, you know, these carbon platforms, carbon marketplaces, whatever you want to talk about, how much of it is based on current real demand, like shut up and take my money versus sort of betting on the come? It's highly, highly speculative. I mean, we are in very early stage. Demand has been, it's a classic chicken and egg here. I think there will be a lot of supply if there is sufficient demand. It is not yet proven to be unlimited demand. But that is changing and rapidly. But it's also to be fair to companies, you mentioned airline industries, it can even be within the food system. As companies are looking to up their supply chain, they realize that their supply chain actually is a big contributor to their footprints. I think there's a lot of insetting opportunities within the supply chain. What these companies will want to see, buyers will want to see is, are you using credible science? Is the asset I'm purchasing, which I can't measure, taste, or feel actually there? And how do I know it's going to be there not just tomorrow, but 10, 20 years from now, right? Um, so if you're really removing carbon from the atmosphere and, and locking back in the soil, that's a long-term proposition in a working crop space, right? So it's very complex. So I think these companies will really want to have a strong, robust science component, a strong, robust verification component, so they really can trust when they're purchasing a credit, this is a house real material value. And so that is where we're still in early stage. The science is, I wouldn't say settling, but it's becoming, um, there's a little bit better resolution on some core scientific principles, but it's also ultimately, there isn't a marketplace. It's more today, largely a B2B transaction. So there is not a, you know, a Chicago board of trade here or a um, New York stock exchange type exchange yet. Mostly today, there's been a B2B transaction where a company wants to buy an initial tranche and they con contract with uh, one entity to be the offtake source. As that gathers momentum, I think that through that process, we'll get price discovery around what is a value of a solar organic carbon ton and working cropland. Um, we'll get resolution around, okay, what are the science principles and the tools and the testing protocols necessary? Data starting to come together. Some protocols were released this year, last month, actually, two months ago. So that's going to be gathering steam. Um, and you're going to see efficiency start to emerge then. As now there's this price discovery, companies will be coming in and figuring out how do I reduce the cost to create a credit? In the end, where prices is, is landing is it's you know between 
roughly 15 to 20 dollars a metric ton of carbon is today the kind of current i wouldn't say price but it's around where some of these early stage um, transactions are occurring but when you take that to the land it really realistically a farmer you know if they're using a very advanced system no-till diverse rotation cover crops enhanced nitrogen management depending on the science and the, the soil type and the crop management zone they're growing in you know is that a quarter ton, a third ton, half a ton, at most a ton per acre per year? So when you kind of pencil that out, okay, is the farmer going to get excited at seven or eight dollars an acre? Probably not. If you can get it to fifteen, twenty dollars an acre, okay, it's going to get their attention. And so this is where it's is the price enough yet to incentivize large scale adoption? That remains to be seen. We'll see that I think in the coming year as more these uh, transactions occur and price discovery becomes uh, more apparent. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, Jason, I appreciate all of this. Thank you very much. Uh, Anything we didn't get to that you were hoping to talk about this morning, I want to give you the floor uh, before we wrap. Well, I I am really appreciative of Land Lakes' investment in building up the True Terra team. And I'm deeply respectful of our agricultural retailers, our network of retailers, who are willing to do this. I mean, they're, they're in many cases pioneers and their teams have been invested in and contributing to advancing sustainability in production ag. And we are on the, on the cusp of some really big things. And I'm really appreciative of, of course, the Truterra team and their forbearance and grit and determination and innovation. But I think in this space on ag sustainability, I guess, my appeal and my ask uh, to listeners is that too often, I think the conservation community, conversations in you know, the federal government in Washington, D.C., conversations in the, in the food sector space, too often are, are considering or focusing on the literal and figurative atmospheric questions. And they lose sight of actually who we need to work with first. And if we are instead focused on helping farmers and in not in the what but more in the how i think we'll come up with some really good tools and really good opportunities for farmers to help them diversify their revenues on their farms help them build more resilient farming operations both economically and climatically and ultimately give agriculture both the support and recognition it deserves I think if we look into the future and the challenges we're facing from food production and from environmental quality standpoint, who but the American farmer, in my view, is going to lead this conversation and have a global impact. And it's a it's a once in a lifetime opportunity we have. And I'm extremely optimistic because of the, the great people and the great farmers that I personally get to work with. And I'm very fortunate to be part of the Land Lakes team. And I really look forward to continuing this journey and this conversation. Great conversation with Jason Weller there of True Terra. Thanks so much to him for taking the time. I realize this was more of a big picture type conversation about these themes, but I hope to continue to drill down on some of the nitty gritty details of these topics discussed here on this episode in future episodes to come. I think we're still in the very early innings of this concept of farming as an ecosystem service, as part of the services farming can provide, and the need for food companies to back up their sustainability claims with real data that they have access to. I hope you'll subscribe to the show and join me as we continue to uncover this aspect of the future of agriculture. 
But in the meantime, thank you so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. Innovation.